Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. How's everybody? Oh, good. My name's Stephen Baker. I'm one of the pastors here. In case you're visiting for the first time, we're glad to have you. And um, (laughs) I want to talk to you this morning about conspiracies. Oh, we'll see. Now, (laughs) what I don't mean is uh, Area 51 or uh, Bigfoot or JFK, or 9-11, or the Masons, or the Rockefellers, or uh, the Illuminati, or Pizzagate. Which is no laughing matter. Although, um, some of you who know me might know that I might have certain opinions about some of those things. (laughs) All right. But we're not talking about that. But who can deny that the history of the world has been shaped by wicked men getting together and plotting and planning and scheming and what? Conspiring to do wicked things. Can you possibly deny that? For example, Let's just think about the Bible, all right? Um, I asked in the first service, what was the first conspiracy in the Bible? And people came up with a bunch of things that I wasn't thinking, like the Tower of Babel, for one, all right? Remember the Tower of Babel, where a bunch of wicked men got together and said, hey, let's do this, right? Let's not do what God told us to do, fill the earth, subdue it, scatter abroad, no, Let's come together, let's, uh, as the King James says, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. (laughs) Funny verse. Build a tower, right, and, and, and reject God. Let's do that. And what did they do? Well, they did it. Well, they tried. Well, that's not the one I was thinking of. The one I was thinking of as the first conspiracy in the Bible is... Joseph's brothers, remember that? Wasn't that a conspiracy? They see Joseph coming and they say, hey, here's what the text says, they plotted against him to put him to death. Wicked men plotting to do a wicked thing together. You read through the history of Israel, all through it, especially in First and Second Kings, where you have all these political Conspiracies and plots and kings and factions and people plotting against one another and orchestrating the downfall of one king and putting up another all over First and Second Kings. Then you come to Psalm 2, just another example, right? The people plot together against the Lord. The kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They come together, they make a plan. Let's throw off the bonds of the Lord. Yeah, let's do that, yeah. Think about in the New Testament, the chief priests after Lazarus was raised from the dead. Remember this? 
And what does it say? The chief priests planned, plotted to put Lazarus to death. John 12, 10. What is that? Well, that's a conspiracy. Think about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was that? Over and over again, you read in the Gospels where they kept planning and plotting and scheming and conspiring to figure out how can we put this guy to death? And eventually those plans come to fruition and they pull it off. How do they do it? Well, by conspiring together, okay? You guys bear false witness, all right? Okay, Uh, let's as judges go along with their false witness, all right? Okay, so you have false witnesses, you have corrupt judges, And after the crucifixion, when our Lord was raised from the dead, there was another conspiracy to what? To deny the resurrection. Remember this? The the guards come in and the the leaders say, okay, now here's what we're gonna do. Here's what you're gonna say, all right? You're gonna say that you, you fell asleep and someone came and stole the body. You got it? Got our story straight? And at the time of the writing of the Gospels, Uh, It says, and that's the story that circulated among the Jews to this day. What is that? It's a conspiracy. You get into the book of Acts. What about all the plots and and the conspiracies by the Jews against the apostle Paul? You have one in Acts 9 in Damascus where they try to kill him. And so that's when they let him down over the wall in the basket. Remember this? Then you have Acts 20 where they try to kill him in Greece. And it talks about it in terms of conspiracy. That's the language that's used. Acts 23 in Jerusalem. It says this, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who formed this plot. All right? These are evil men getting together, coming up with a plan and trying to pull it off. That's what a conspiracy is. Of course, it was a secret plan. In that case, was it Paul's nephew, I think, the the son of his sister, who found out about it, told the Romans? There are conspiracies all over the Bible, let alone in the history of the world. Why in the world would this surprise us? It's what wicked men do. It's very interesting that many of us like to be naive about this and think, no, come on. You know, I mean, people are basically good, right? I mean, aren't people basically good? Especially when you put them in positions of high power, aren't? Isn't that when they get especially good? I mean, they would never do those kinds of things. That's crazy, people aren't bad. Now, why in the world am I talking about conspiracies? I'm talking about conspiracies because of my UPS man and my propane deliverer. Because they, I've had occasion to talk to both of them in the last couple of weeks, right? And this is just a theme that I keep hearing, but these two men are placeholders for this. These are humble, you know, um, blue collar, unsophisticated, hardworking, normal men. And they come and they deliver my packages or my propane. And what what do they say when they're delivering my packages and my propane? 
They say, you know, I don't know. I think there's something political going on with all this. What are they saying? Eh, this is, smells kind of fishy. Something weird is going on here, isn't there? And they feel kind of timid, it seems, when they say it. They, you know, they don't really want to say it. They probably are feeling me out to know whether or not I'm going to think they're crazy or not. But somehow or another, they must think I'm crazy because they say it to me. <laughs> I want you to be free to think like that. Okay? I want you to be free to be very suspicious of a lot, not just this, you know, but of a lot of things that are going on today. I want you to be, to be free to feel suspicious about that and to think and to not be naive. Now, does that mean that COVID-19 is a hoax? There are a lot of people out there saying, oh, come on, this is all just a hoax. There isn't really a virus. It doesn't really make people sick. Well, my son, Gabriel, had coronavirus. It made him awful darn sick, and he's 25. I know people who have died of this. Some of you probably do too. Okay, it's not... Uh, you know, let's not be like kludgy, you know what I'm saying, with this? It's not either a hoax, that we can just say, oh, come on, it's all just stupid, this is all just a hoax. It's not either a hoax or totally free, on the other hand, of political machinations. Can't it be a real problem that evil men... use to their advantage. Can it be both? Do you all remember some of you, boy, a lot of young people here, um, some of you remember who Rahm Emanuel was, is, I guess, still alive. You remember who Rahm Emanuel was? What do you, you think of him as the what? Mayor of Chicago, what else was he? What? Chief of Staff for President Obama in the White House, okay? Rahm Emanuel. And there's this uh, video, you can watch it on YouTube, of course, <laughs> that uh, has him speaking at a public event in, in 2008. Now, do you remember 2008? I know some of you weren't alive in 2008. Do you remember 2008? What was, what was, what was going on in 2008? What? Market crash, housing crisis, bubble collapse, bad, bad, really bad stuff, right? Here's what Rahm Emanuel said in public, sitting on a stage, being interviewed. Here's what he said. Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Never let a serious crisis go to waste. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, <clears throat> it was a real crisis, 
right? But he said, now look, we've got work to do. We've got plans. We've got things that we need to accomplish here, economically, socially, in terms of healthcare, in terms of politics, right? And of course, he was coming from a very particular point of view. And he was saying, look, we should never let a serious crisis go to waste. We should take this opportunity to get things done that we want to get done. Well, is that rare? Is that a one-off? No, it's a philosophy. It's a, it's a very purposeful way of thinking about the world. I want you to be free to see what you see. Okay? To smell what you smell. To acknowledge that this is a serious bug in the case of coronavirus that can make you very sick. That you shouldn't be stupid about. You shouldn't be naive about that. Right? And at the same time, not be naive about this. That there are wicked men who want to do bad things. It's what wicked men do. And it's not good. I want you to be able to see both. Which brings us to Psalm 141. I want you to open up and read, follow along and read with me Psalm 141. Actually, I'm actually going to be reading from the ESV for this psalm. I don't, there are are problems with the ESV as a translation, English Standard Version, but oftentimes in the Psalms and the Old Testament, places like that, it actually does some things that are better than some of the other translations. So I'm going to use ESV today. So it's going to be up on the screen. And just follow along and uh, listen to the word of the Lord. Psalm of David. O Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to get into this, back to this whole idea of conspiracies in a minute. But look at how this psalm begins. We don't know when David wrote this. A lot of the psalms have a little tag at the top that kind of tell us the context. And people argue about this and they, they kind of get 
intense about trying to figure out when exactly this was written. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Clearly, um, it's a time of trouble for David, right? And that's actually kind of nice for us because we can, instead of thinking about, well, what exactly was the trouble? It doesn't matter. Trouble. Distress. Some kind of bad things going on. And so that helps us. We can pull it out and we can use it and use it as a model for us and a comfort for us, right? What is the first thing that David does in the midst of this trouble? What's it say? Oh Lord, I call upon you. I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. He's praying. Trouble drives us to prayer. Not um, formal, fancy, rote, polished prayer, but cries. Oh Lord, I cry out to you. I call upon you. And not polite prayers either. Look at what he says. Oh Lord, I call upon you. Hurry up, would you? Would you hurry up? You see that? Hasten to me. Would you hurry up and listen to me? Would you listen? Give ear to my voice when I call to you. This isn't polite. This isn't polished. It's reverent, but it's not nice. You know what I'm saying? He's intense. That's what trouble does. Trouble should do anyway, is drive us to prayer. I know in my life the times of the most trouble have always been the times of the most prayer. My sin, the sin of my family, the the sickness, death, you name it. When things are nice and sweet and happy and rosy, we're not driven to prayer. We're driven to prayer when things are bad. And I think that's one of the, the biggest sanctifying influences of trouble in God's hand, in God's people, is it drives us to prayer. We're in trouble. The trouble that we're in as a nation should drive us to prayer, right? Intense prayer, urgent prayer. Then he says in verse two, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In other words, Lord, you commanded us to offer incense. You commanded us to do the sacrifices. This is all stuff that you told us to do. This is stuff, this is worship. This is what you've commanded us to do in the temple. Can you just, can you receive my prayers as if they're that? Would you, would you, would you, would you bend your ear and hear me? and accept it as if I'm in the temple offering incense, offering the sacrifice, would you hear my prayer? That's the first thing, all right? This psalm teaches us to pray earnestly and even a little bit impatiently in a sense, right? Hear me, hear me in times of trouble. We're in times of trouble, so pray. Now look what he does next. Seems maybe random, but it's not. Verse three, 
Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Why does he say that? Why does he say that here? Well, you know why he says it here. (laughs) Open up your Facebook page and look at what you've written. Or just what you've said. You, You know what I'm saying? Times of trouble should drive us to prayer, but often they drive us to, to, to spew, to bitterness, to anger, to bile, to nasty things, to say them. What does he say? Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Don't let me say stupid stuff. Don't let me say wicked stuff. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This reminds me of James 3. Remember James 3? What we say is a big deal. It's a really, really, really big deal. So, uh, James 3, listen to this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You hear what he says? No man, no one can tame his tongue. But you have to tame your tongue. What does David say? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. I can't do this. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. You do it. You protect me from saying stupid, wicked things. Come on. How many, this is perfect for us, right? How many times have we read our Bible, said our prayers, 
and then started spewing evil and wicked things about evil and wicked men. Just because they're evil and wicked doesn't mean we can spew evil and wicked things about them. They're made in the likeness of God, James says. So we bless God and then go spew evil and wicked bile against men made in the image of God? What does James say? This ought not to be. <laughs> Look at what David does next. Set a guard, verse three, over, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity and let me not eat of their delicacies. Look at this. All these things are connected, okay? Your mouth is connected to what? Your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your heart is connected to your mouth, is connected to your hands, is connected to the company you keep. All this stuff is connected. You can't cut these little things up and put little firewalls between them and say, yeah, I spew all kinds of evil things out of my mouth, but that doesn't mean my heart is inclined to, to evil. You're fooling yourself. It's all connected. You start talking in certain ways, your heart will be inclined in those certain ways. And if your heart is inclined in those certain ways, you will start to do those things. Everything in your life will be corrupted. And then you'll start busying yourself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Come on. You know this is how it works. He says, let me not eat of their delicacies. So what does he mean by that? You know, whenever I think of a delicacy, you know what I think of? I think of what they say when there's some really interesting food. And what, is, what do people say? Oh, well, that's a delicacy in China. Jason was here in the last service. He, <laughs> yeah. When someone says this is a delicacy in China, that doesn't make me want to eat it. <laughs> okay. Just saying it's a delicacy doesn't mean it's good. Well, but what does this mean? He's not talking about food, I don't think. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Don't let me take into myself all of these very appealing, very enticing, very... Um, tasty morsels, you know what I'm saying? That are very attractive, but not good. So, times of trouble. Lord, I call on you. Hear my prayer. Don't let me say anything stupid. Don't let my heart be pulled away into evil things. Don't let me see what they're into and just latch onto that and gobble it up like a delicacy. Don't let me do that. What else? Verse five. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Kindness. 
Let him rebuke me, it's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. (laughs) Why does he say that? This is the humility we need in times of trouble, isn't it? Look, bad things are happening. We're gonna sin in the midst of these things. Let a righteous man strike me. Let a righteous man smack me on the face. Tell me I'm wrong, let him rebuke me. I want this, it's a kindness to me. It is oil for my head, you know? We don't put oils on our, on our head, but think about this. This is a, a perfume, this is a, it, it makes me smell better. <laughs> you know? It feels good, let him t- bring it on. Let my head not refuse it. When your parents, when your boss, when your brothers and sisters and your pastors, your elders, whoever, when they come to you and say, look, why did you say that? That was wrong. Why did you do that? That was wicked. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't do those things. Don't bristle. Receive it gladly. This is what he says. Verse six, when their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words for they are pleasant. What does that mean? I think it's, he's talking about when all the, of the plans, when all the plots and schemes fall apart. I wanna be the one who has said pleasant words and who they'll listen to. Not the one who has spewed bile, right? Not the one who spewed bile, but the one who has spoken pleasant words. Then verse seven is, as when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol. I think he's talking here about things are really bad. This is bad. Whatever it is, it's like we're all dead. But now look at verse eight. But, My eyes are toward you, O God, O Yahweh, my Lord. In you I seek refuge, leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me. And from the snares of evildoers, let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. So, are there conspiracies? Are there plots and plans and schemes by evil men to do you wrong. Yes. Yes, of course there are. This is nothing new or weird or novel or strange. This is what wicked men do and always have done. What are you gonna do about it? There are two things you could do about it that are bad, I think. One of them is just to deny it all. Just deny it. You can deny that bad people conspire to do bad things. You know, ignorance is bliss. Just don't even think about it. Oh no, that's not possible. Bad people can't conspire to, I mean, come on, that's crazy. Get out the tinfoil hat. You must be crazy. You must be a conspiracy theorist if you think that bad people plot to do bad things. 
even bad people high up in government. That never happens. <laughs> oh, please just read some history, would you please? Of course it happens. It happens all the time. Better yet, read your Bible. It happens all the time. Don't, don't be naive. If you deny that bad people conspire to do bad things, you've got to ignore the Bible, you've got to ignore the history of the world, you've got to ignore reality. That's not a good place to be. Or, what else? Well, you could become obsessed with conspiracies. And then what do you have to be naive about? The power, the goodness, and the sovereignty of God. And that's a worse place to be. I'd rather you be naive and deny that they're even there than deny the power, goodness, and sovereignty of God for crying out loud. You hear me? All right. Let me read to you something from Isaiah, chapter 8. We'll be done shortly. Isaiah 8, 11 to 13, is, there's these verses that are often I've seen floating around on the internet when people start talking about conspiracies. And this is the verse that people pull up as if to say, there's no such thing as conspiracies. Well, the Bible talks about them, so we know that can't be right. But here's the verse. Verse uh, Isaiah eight eleven. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Oh, there you have it. See, there are no conspiracies. Don't call anything a conspiracy. That's not what he's saying. He goes on, don't call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. That's being obsessed with conspiracies, you understand? Here's what he says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. There are, of course, evil men plotting evil things. But do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? Are all of these things out of his control? Let me end with this. The Psalms are filled with this kind of thing, with prayers, in the midst of conspiracies, plots, schemes for our harm. And the Psalms give us words to pray and real encouragement. So let me end with just a few of these. Psalm 10, two. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Don't ignore the schemes. But pray that, you know, they'd be caught in their own schemes. Or Psalm 31. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, 
which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Trust in the Lord. He'll hide you. He'll protect you. Or lastly, Psalm 37. Listen to this. (laughs) Psalm 37.10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. The Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. Do you see? See what you see. Don't be naive. It's not good for Christians to be naive. It's actually a sin. See what you see. All right? Honor the government. Take COVID-19 seriously. Don't be obsessed with the evil plots of evil men. God knows every single one of them. And what does he do when he sees them? Does he fret? What does he do? He laughs. Don't fear what they fear. Fear the Lord. All right? Let's pray. Dear Father, would you please help us? Help us to cry out to you in times of trouble. Help us to trust you. Help us to not be naive and yet to ultimately and always to hope in your mighty hand. Lord, have mercy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.